0: Um, Let let me read from the scriptures And then we'll bring a few necessary announcements Uh, Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 2 Peter chapter 2 And I would love to read the whole of this chapter But I'm not going to for the sake of time 2 Peter chapter 2 Let's hear the word of the Lord 2 Peter chapter 2 If you found the place Reading of course from the authorised version But there were false prophets also among the people Even as there shall be false teachers among you Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies Even denying the Lord that bought them And bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment nigh of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For have God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment? And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, saying in In seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not reeling accusation against them before the Lord. We'll end the reading there at verse 11 and we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 2 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 9. And my theme today is entitled The Deliverance of of the godly. Now let's look at the text together. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now this is a great text of Holy Scripture. It is a text full of great encouragement and hope to the people of God. You see, for God's people in the Apostles Peter's day to hear and learn of God's ability to deliver his people in a day of apostasy, a day of religious decline, a day when false teachers was going on in the church, must have filled their hearts with great confidence, comfort, and hope. Now the apostle Peter has told the church in his day If you look at 2 verse 1 But there were false prophets also among the people Even as there shall be false teachers among you Could you imagine this letter being read out in the church In the apostle Peter's day Think of the church assembled And they're told that in your midst Is false teachers who are bringing in false teaching And to them it must have seemed incomprehensible and I have no doubt they're thinking, or they asking, well then, who can be saved? Who can be delivered from such false teaching? Who can be delivered from the clutches of the false teachers? How can we be kept faithful to the great truths of the gospel? Now, in order to answer such a query, the great missionary to the Jews flagged up three, inspired historical incidents to illustrate God's great deliverance and power. And these three historical illustrations were the casting out of falling angels, verse 4, the destruction of the old world by a worldwide flood out of which Noah and his family were saved, verse 5, and the complete destruction Of Sodom and Gomorrah Verse 6 Now If we were to examine Each historical incident very carefully We would discover That in each case There were those who were delivered Not every angel sinned in Lucifer's rebellion When he attempted to take the throne of God When he said I will be like God Only one-third of the angels sinned and fell in that rebellion. Also, Noah, his wife, and three sons and their wives, eight precious souls who lived in the old world, were saved by the ark, which is a type of Christ, and the rest all perished. See, God brought the flood upon a world of ungodly men. And this morning, if the Lord Jesus believed in a man called Noah, and the Apostle Peter believed in a man called Noah and a worldwide flood, then so do I. You see, Noah was a real, true historical figure. Who knows? The power of God's deliverance in his life. You see, it's the liberals this morning. It's the modernists who deny the literal historicity of such a man as Noah. Think also of the downfall and overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. When literally fire fell from heaven. Look at verse 6. What does it say? And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes... Condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. You see, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was made an example unto those that live ungodly in the world. Sodom and Gomorrah were very wicked, sinful cities. Sin that was so great and grievous before God that God blotted the cities out of the face of the earth. Where is Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, could I tell you? It's in the Dead Sea region. Let me just add this, that sodomy is not a sickness. Sodomy is an exceeding great sin. Read Genesis 9. And God is warning about this kind of sin. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. And a holy and just God can do Nothing but punish that sin. Because God hates sin. God exposes sin. And God punishes sin. But notice that even out of Sodom and Gomorrah, when you read verses 7 and 8 very carefully, it adds the words, and delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You see, Lot was a saved man. He was an Old Testament believer. He was justified before God. He had a perfect standing before the God of heaven. Even though he was cold and backslidden in certain areas, and even though he was caught up with the things of the world, The Lord delivered Lot out of Sodom. And again, young people, the Lord Jesus believed in Lot. And so did Peter. And so do I. Lot was a real, literal, historical character. And did you notice in our Bible that even though he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day With their what? Unlawful deeds. That was things that they were doing that were contrary to the law of God. Contrary to the mind of God. And who with his eyes saw things. And with his ears heard things from day to day. And he vexed his soul. Now think of it this morning. There was one righteous man Living in Sodom. In the midst of all the ungodliness of that place. There was one righteous man in that city. And what do we read? And the Lord delivered just Lot. That is, the Lord delivered him out of Sodom before he destroyed Sodom. And after giving these three literal historical incidences. Then Peter adds the words. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I received this text of scripture having a conversation with one of our retired ministers this week. He mentioned it to me. I'd been praying for a text following on from last week as we thought about exercising ourselves unto godliness And this text just jumped out at me The minute it was spoken It's about the deliverance of the godly I prayed and asked the Lord to give help and light And three things came to my mind I want you to think about the description of the people of God here Notice the words The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly So we'll underline that Who are the godly? How did they become godly? Did they make themselves godly? What does this description mean? Now young people, listen to me carefully. A godly person is a person who is in a right relationship with God. One who has recognized their sinnership before him. One who has repudiated their own self-righteousness. One who has repented of their sin. One who has freely received Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Saviour. And they have received the imputation of Christ's righteousness with which they stand before God. And these people have a fear of God, a dread of him. They stand in awe of him. They, they have a desire to live a life of holiness. As we said last week, they're, they're exercising themselves unto godliness. So, so literally, a godly person is someone who is in Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says over there in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Live godly in Christ Jesus. Godly in Christ Jesus. Does that describe you this morning? You see, remember no one is born godly. We're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. The the psalmist said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Nobody's made godly by an act of baptism. The Free Presbyterian Church doesn't believe in baptismal regeneration. We don't believe that some man, by offering some magical prayer over a child and applying water in its head, whether it's a few drops or many drops, Makes that boy or girl into a godly person Or a Christian before the Lord And while we believe of course in the right of baptism Even for uh, the uh, parents of, of uh, Christian children Baptismal regeneration it doesn't make you a Christian you're, you're not godly when you join a church you know When you take out membership You don't make yourself godly by the works of your own hands. Remember Mr. Impossible. There was one thing he couldn't do. William didn't know it. He couldn't make himself a Christian. He couldn't deal with his own sin. He couldn't get to heaven by the works of his own hands. You're not godly by embracing external religion. And immersing yourselves in ceremonies and rites and observances of religion. No, you're only designated and declared to be a godly person in the sight of God when you're found in Christ, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, when you're put into Christ, that is, put into a vital, saving, organic union with the Savior. So I ask this morning, have you a real, true, vital, saving relationship with Christ? So much so that your life has been changed. Remember the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Have you experienced the miracle of the new birth? So you've got a new heart and you now you're under new management and, and you're living a life to please God. Because remember the Bible says, but without faith, That's faith in him. It is impossible to please God. for He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And remember, if you're born of the Spirit, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Bible says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3. And the spirit of God that indwells us, remember, is the spirit of holiness. So I believe that we will have an aspiration towards a holy life or well, we'll never be perfect, but we'll aspire to a life that's well-pleasing to God. We've been conscious that God has been speaking to us as a church since the beginning of the month. We're not to meddle lightly In the things of God. We're to exercise ourselves. Unto godliness. And we're to reject. A mere external form. Of godliness. How many have a form of godliness. And don't know the power. Thereof in their life. And we're to oppose a mere outward shell. See the false teachers. With their false teaching. And all that they denied. About Christ. Christ. It was just a form of godliness. But their life were not saved. They were not genuinely born again. They were not truly in Christ. They knew nothing of the power of the gospel. As I've said, they had a form of godliness. But that didn't make them godly. Why? Because they were not in Christ. And remember, you can't be a true believer outside of Jesus Christ. Only in Christ... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, here's the question for you. Are you among the godly today? Are you in Christ? Has God done a saving work in you whereby your life has changed? And you have a a new name, you have a new nature. Are you enjoying this morning a, a vital, saving, real relationship with God through faith in Christ? That's the description of the people of God. The godly. Now notice secondly, the deliverance of the people of God. Notice what the text says. Read it very carefully. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So we're going to think about that thought. The deliverance of the people of God. And remember he's already given three historical instances where there's been deliverance of the people of God. Now, what are we delivered from? Notice the text says, out of temptations. Now, here's a most solemn reality. Godly men and women need to be delivered out of temptations. Now, now think of this. Remember we're living in a world Bombarded with sin And the word temptations here Is a reference to testing Or trying circumstances and situations That surround the child of God Situations that are so difficult and so trying That it causes even the most spiritual minded person To be vexed in their heart To be grieved and tormented in their heart and mind. To to sigh and cry unto God because of sin. So much so that they feel that they're being gradually worn down. That is, they're affected by the ungodly's lifestyle. They're affected by the deeds of the ungodly. They hear the filthy conversation. They they see their lawless behavior. And they sigh and cry in their hearts in a spirit of despair. That's the thought of that word temptations. It's not just tempted to sin, but it's in a, a trying, difficult situation Where you're almost tempted to despair You're you're giving up You're you're warring out That's the context Think of trying circumstances and situation in the country Is it Northern Ireland this morning Full of sin and wickedness? Is this not the kind of world that Noah lived in? The kind of world that Lot lived in? And here you are and, And you're trying to live a godly life In an ungodly world You're the only Christian in your class, in your school, in your university, in your workplace, or in your home. And you're thinking to yourself, what's the point? What's the use? You are struggling in a sense for spiritual survival. And you're thinking, well, how can I cope this morning? Maybe you're even thinking, well, what's the future for the Free Presbyterian Church? How are we going to survive this bombardment of sin brought into Northern Ireland. Think of abortion in demand. Think of the drive for same-sex marriage. Think of the transgender issues in the school. Think of the hate laws that are now against the church, against the Bible. It's not so long ago when the Sandown Free Presbyterian Church put adverts into the paper. And it was just quotations from the Bible. And they were ended up in court over the head of it. Now thankfully they won their case. But it just shows you how the hate law can be used against the Bible and against the preacher. And in that context of the country, almost sort of gone to the dogs in a spiritual sense, how can we survive because we're being worn down by this? Think of trying circumstances and situations in the church. In Peter's day, there was false teachers, false teaching. And they were using words Language that was couched in deception They were full of pride these men They were full of self interest They questioned the truth You don't need to be saved You don't need Christ to be your Lord and Saviour You see they were perversely denying the very Lord that bought them And here's the issues that arose People then were leaving the church family, leaving the church fellowship. Many felt, well, the church in Peter's day, it's struggling for survival. And as a result of that, many of God's people are in a state of despair. And I know this morning, because I've got my little ear to the ground that many godly free Presbyterians, many of God's people even outside our denomination, they are hurt by circumstances and situations, and they're floundering in a whirlpool of confusion and uncertainty, and we feel but the church is losing ground. And they feel, well, surrender's inevitable. And we might as well close up shop and and put the lights out and, and, and sell the building. We're going to have to give in to the ungodly. Well, I have a message this morning. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. When the country's in trying circumstances and situation. When the church faces circumstances and trying situations, then let's remember these men, what God did to Noah, what God did for Lot. We read that Lot vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That word vexed means that he was grieved. He was cut to the heart. But he was not only grieved and cut to the heart. He was grieved and cut to the heart so much so that he was worn down. Not only did it vex his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. But he struggled with the situations that he faced. And maybe you're here this morning and you're facing a situation in your life, in your family. And you're struggling. And it's left you vexed. Not only are you grieved and hurt and and you just want to burst into tears and hide yourself in a wee corner somewhere, but you're worn down by it. You're so worn down, you're just ready to quit. Does that describe you this morning? What are we delivered from? Temptations. Notice, secondly, the way of deliverance. It, it, It says here, if you look at the text, The Lord knoweth how to deliver You see Here's the Lord's way of deliverance The Lord knows you The word knoweth Or knows Is in a verb It's in the present tense And God's knowledge of you is perfect And his knowledge of you Will not fail in any point He knows everything about you he knows everything that needs to be known. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're sitting. He knows when you're eating. He knows when you're at work and school. He knows when you're driving the car. He knows everything in your heart and mind. He knows every thought that you have. He knows every thought that you have about each other and about me. And he knows every thought that I have about you. And he knows every word. And he knows every deed that we commit. You see, this is not knowledge that God has gained by education or by learning. It's not as if God has gone to school. No, this is a a perfect knowledge. This is an inherent knowledge that God has of you. This is intimate and detailed. A a perfect knowledge by virtue of the fact that he is all-knowing. And that word all-knowing, Is rooted in the thought of God's omniscience For that's what omniscient means It means that God is all knowing There's nothing he doesn't know All things that actually do occur In every one of our lives God knows All things that potentially could occur If the circumstances and situations arise God knows you see, remember the Lord Jesus said about Capernaum. And he said this, that if the messages preached in Capernaum and the miracles done there by himself had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and got right with God. But Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have those privileges. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have a Bible. Only thing that Sodom and Gomorrah had, there was one man there who was righteous, righteous. One righteous man in the city And God knew him perfectly You see it's a lie to suggest That there's things that God doesn't know You see It's a lie to say that God is a God Who knows all things But is also waiting to see what's going to happen That's not true Because God is a God who knows all things He's not waiting to see what is going to happen because he knows what is going to happen because he has actually decreed what is going to happen. He has perfect knowledge. All things the Bible says are open and naked to God. He has perfect knowledge of himself, of his eternal purpose, of all that he's accomplished, and he's perfect knowledge of you and me. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. God's eye is upon you. You see, I believe the Lord's eye was on Lot every single day. Here's Lot living in Sodom. And God put a difference, a division between Lot and the men of Sodom. Not only did God know Lot, he sees Lot. Lot's a righteous man. Lot has a testimony. What does it say in verse 7? And delivered just Lot. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired Peter to write that. If it hadn't been in the New Testament, we wouldn't have known that Lot was a saved man. A righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing what they were saying and doing, vexed his righteous soul day by day of their unlawful deeds. God's eye was on Lot. God marked him out. God was tracking every day of every minute of Lot's life. Do you know when the man of Sodom, Lot couldn't get lost? Because God knew exactly where he was at every minute of every day. And I'll tell you something else. You can't get lost in a crowd. You go down to Belfast and the cameras are running, thousands of people. Do you know you could be picked out in the cameras? You're thinking, well, nobody knows and sees me, young people. But the camera does. The camera never lies. And I want to tell you, God does. He knows you're the only one in your school, in your workplace, in your university. The only one in your home. And not only does God see you, but he knows you. And, and you maybe you're tempted. Well, you know, I would like to just conform and fit in. I I, I would like to just go with the flow. I I would like to just relax and do what everyone else is doing and and stop being different. And I want to to quit the Christian life. Well, you remember the Lord knows you and the Lord sees you. Can I tell you something else very quickly? The Lord marked him. What does the text say or or the, the, the context tell us? Think of the words in 7 and verse 8 Notice this word vexed again Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked Vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds You see God also knew Lot's heart and life He knew his attitude He knew his mindset Lot had been born again of the spirit He was a righteous man He was justified before God And God's seed was in him The life of God was in him, and he was spoiled for the world. Remember, God hates sin, God exposes sin, God punishes sin. And why was the sin of sodomy such a grief and vexing to Lot? Because he had the stamp of God within him. He grieved in his heart over open and flagrant sins. He knew that sodomy was not a sickness, he knew it wasn't a problem with the genes. He knew it was a sin, a great sin before God He knew it was an abomination in the eyes of God And you only have to read Leviticus 19 Romans chapter 1 I'll not turn to it for the sake of time But God sees you God knows you God marks you as his And he sees your struggles, he sees your sighs. He sees your grief, he sees your burden And the Lord takes note of it Didn't the Lord hear prayer for Sodom? Remember Abraham, Uncle Abraham, his nephew, Lot was living in Sodom. Abraham prayed for 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Spare it for 10, Lord. And the Lord says, I'll spare it for 10 if I find 10 righteous. But he could only find one. But he didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Until Lot had been brought out of the midst. So the Lord delivers us by telling us or teaching us that he knows all about us. That he sees you where you're living That he marks you as his Because he's put a a hatred for sin in your heart Where you're vexed and grieved and cut by it And also the Lord's moral law Notice the end of verse 7 it says With their unlawful deeds Lot's a just man A righteous man He's got a righteous soul. And he's vexed with what? Their unlawful deeds. Let me just add this up this morning because our time's moving on. What makes a man righteous before God? We know that a man is made righteous in Christ. There's such a thing as the imputation of Christ's righteousness and the, the implantation of Christ's righteousness in regeneration, the new birth, and, and and righteousness is imparted in the great process of sanctification where we die under sin and live under righteousness. But a man who loves the Lord, who lives for him in the midst of an iniquitous home or city or school, that person is called a righteous man. And here's Lot. And he wouldn't practice. What the men of Sodom were practicing? He wouldn't participate in their unlawful deeds. Why were they repugnant to him? Let me answer. He had the moral law of God stamped in his heart and mind. Over there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter two, we read this in the verse 14, "For when the Gentiles which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves." Which showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or, or else excusing one another. You see, the moral law of God in the heart and mind of Lot, the moral law of God was written in his heart. And through that moral law, he was kept in the midst of transgression, temptation, because he knew what sin was that sin's a transgression of the law. And you see, this world has gone after sin because they've abandoned the Ten Commandments. They don't live by the Ten Commandments. They they have no standard to live by. So their their lifestyle then is is contrary to God. It's without God. How do we know what is right and wrong? How does a Christian know what is right and wrong? Is there anything sure and fixed and absolute? The answer is yes, the truth of God's law. And God's law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And in this lawless age, the law of God keeps us in this way. And the church must not ever say that we're not under law, under grace. Paul said, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No Christian or church has a license to sin. Once we apply the law, not only that God knows us and sees us and marked us as his own, but God's laws in our heart and minds. Then we want to conform to that law. Not as a means of salvation, but as a code. As a, as a lifestyle, so that we can have a testimony that's, that's pleasing to God. That's the deliverance of the people of God. There's the division of the people of God. If you look at our text, it says, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. This is a sermon all in itself. But I just want to finish with this God hates sin. And God exposes sin. The Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall find mercy. And here's proof that God punishes sin. Did he punish the angels that sinned? Yes. Did he punish the old world? whereas only saved eight? Yes. Did he punish the men of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes. Here's these historical illustrations. And there's a contrast here. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve isn't that an important word? Reserve the unjust. There's the contrast. One group of men and women's ungodly and the other group of men and women, they're unjust. And what does the Bible tell us? And to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment, to be punished. Could I say in closing, there's a judgment day coming. And you need to be among the godly. You need to be found in Christ. Because if you are outside of Christ, Jesus said, If you die in your sins where I am, then you cannot be. And remember, he also added this Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, if we not, and he'll tell them things that they have done, we profess to know you. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The deliverance of the godly. There's a division, and God has put the difference. One's redeemed for heaven. The other's reserved for hell. I trust this morning the Lord will take these few thoughts and maybe use them to encourage your heart.